0: Oh, good morning, friends. Good morning. Can you believe that we just have two weeks until Easter Sunday? I mean, it really is upon us. We're looking forward to Holy Week. Next week is Palm Sunday, and then we'll have our Monday Thursday service at 6.30, Good Friday at 6.30, and Easter Sunday we'll celebrate at our normal service time. And Typically, we think of next week, Palm Sunday, as kind of the, uh, the culmination. The, this is the, the week that sets everything into motion. That when Jesus entered Jerusalem, that was the, the final straw that sent him to the cross. But actually, if you've been paying attention, the tension has been building week after week. We remember in John 9 and John 10, The tension has been building. They're wanting to seize Jesus and take him. In fact, it's actually going to be in John chapter 11, the, the raising of Lazarus. To me, this is actually the final straw that sends Jesus to his death. Now, you see, Jesus has been performing what John calls signs. It's his word for the miracles that Jesus performs. They point to, they signify, who is this man who is doing such things? Now, of course, there is some debate over the exact number of signs and what they are, but most concur that there are seven signs in John's Gospel and that they should be ordered this way. First, the turning of water into wine. Then the cleansing of the temple. The healing of the nobleman's son. Healing the man who was paralyzed. Feeding the multitude. Healing the man who was born blind from birth. And then the the seventh the climax, the, the pinnacle of all the signs that Jesus has been doing, most think is this, the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. This is the sign of signs. This is the miracle of miracles. And ironically, it's the performing of this resurrection that leads to Jesus' death. We'll have moment, uh, more on that in a moment. But this, this story, this, this event that, that happened, it's... It's incredible, is it not? You hear it and aren't we astonished that Jesus did this? I mean, it's kind of absurd. Besides Jesus' own resurrection, I can't think of a more shocking story in the Gospels than this one. I mean, this is a little little bit morbid, but imagine this happening to you. You have to put yourself in the story. Imagine your, your brother loves Jesus, and whom Jesus loves gets critically sick. Deathly sick. And you send to Jesus for him to come help. This is how our story begins in John 11. Now, if you'd like to follow along with me, you can turn in your Bibles or open up your phones. But it begins like this. It says in verse 3, the sisters sent Jesus a message, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, notice there is no specific prayer request here they just tell jesus the one you love is sick perhaps this is a good model for praying by the way we tell jesus our needs without advising him on how he should resolve those needs although i think praying specifically is good but sometimes just saying lord here's the problem this is what's going on I mean, this is very similar to what Jesus' mother Mary said to him, right? The wine has run out, and she wants Jesus to do something. And the sisters, Mary and Martha, they believe that Jesus is going to do something because he loves Lazarus, and now he's heard that he's sick. So what's Jesus going to do? Well, how will Jesus respond to this news? And what does this sign point to? What what does this story tell us about Jesus of Nazareth? Well, I think the sign reveals, at least for me, three things. That Jesus, he works mysteriously, he cries with us, and he gives life by giving his life. So let's talk about this. What does the sign reveal about Jesus? Number one, Jesus works mysteriously. Mysteriously, this is such a strange story about Jesus. Why does he act the way that he does? I mean, first of all, we we note that someone Jesus loves gets sick. A reminder for us that Jesus' love for us doesn't mean we don't experience the same brokenness and pain as everybody else. And when we do experience that brokenness and pain, that doesn't mean his love for us has diminished in any way. He loves us still in the midst of the sickness and the brokenness. Says the one you love is sick. Man, there's some theology in there this morning. Jesus still loves Lazarus in the midst of this. But the story gets stranger from there. Says when he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now let's pretend we don't know the end of the story. Okay, great. Lazarus, he's, this is not going to end in death. He's going to be healed. He's not going to die. Whew! Thank you, Jesus. Take care of the problem. And it gets, it gets better. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Wow, that's good news. Of course he, he loves us. He's, he's fixing the problem. He's coming to help right away, of course. But then we get to verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Wait, what? Jesus knows Lazarus is critically ill. Ill enough that his friends have to send him a message. And then he just said, it's, it's not going to end in death. And he reminds them, reminds them of his love for them. But then he just stays where he is for two more days? Have you ever had something like this happen to you? There's there's a a big problem, a, a crisis, something critical in your life, and you tell Jesus about it, but nothing seems to change. I mean, I think this is a common experience. But this is a sign, this is a little revelation that there's often more going on that we cannot even fathom or comprehend. It reveals something mysterious. That we live by faith in Jesus and not by sight. This sign reveals that he is working mysteriously in ways that we cannot see. He works not according to our thoughts and plans, but according to his Father's. He's working out a a global, a a universe-encompassing, an all-of-history-encompassing plan that we cannot fathom. We cannot fathom what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do through all eternity. He's always working, But it's often mysterious, beyond our comprehension. But we do get a little clue, just this glimpse in this story about what's going on. So, after waiting two days, he says to his disciples, "Let's go back to Judea." Verse eight. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. See, remember, John nine and ten. The tension has been building. Uh, The Pharisees, they had thrown the man born blind out of the synagogue. And Jesus called them bad shepherds. He called them the thieves and the robbers. And then he says, he and the Father are one. And for this, they try to stone him. They try to seize him. Don't forget, they actually tried to kill Jesus multiple times before the cross. The cross wasn't the first time. The cross was the time they were finally successful. This is how tense things were. In fact, it was so intense that it says at the end of John 10, he retreated across the Jordan, back where John the Baptist was baptizing. In fact, when we encounter Jesus in the story, he's kind of on the hideout, if you will. He's he's retreated from the intensity of Jerusalem. So that's where he is, kind of on the run, when he hears this news about his friend Lazarus, who, by the way, lives in Bethany, which is just two miles from Jerusalem. If Jesus goes back there, if he goes by Jerusalem, he's probably going to die. And if he does something miraculous, that's going to send him to the cross. I think Jesus knows this. So, to go give Lazarus life back, he's going to put himself at risk of death. But it will be by his death that he gives life back to all people. I mean, oh, what a mysterious, awe-inspiring God we have. So after two days, Jesus decides it's time to go raise Lazarus. Jumping down to verse 14, he tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Isn't that a strange thing to read? Jesus is glad he was not there to solve the problem. Why? So that they may see Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And so that deep in their bones, deep in their heart, they would believe he is the resurrection and the life. But I think a church father gives a really important point of wisdom about this passage. Cyril of Alexandria says this, Jesus saw that in the end, Lazarus' illness and death would be for the glory of God. This is not to say that the sickness came on Lazarus so that God should be glorified, for it would be silly to say this. Isn't that kind of funny? But rather, since the sickness had come upon Lazarus, Jesus foresaw the wonderful conclusion to Lazarus' illness. I think that's an important clarification. God is not the author of evil, period. But... He's so good at redeeming it, we often think he is. I mean, it's like, Lord, did you write this story on purpose? I mean, that's how good at God is redeeming evil. That's how good of a storyteller he is. So Jesus, he hears about this and he has a plan to redeem it for the glory of God, even Lazarus' death. And I think Jesus knows his time is almost up. He needs his disciples to have an unshakable confidence in who he is and what he's capable of, that he's the resurrection and the life. So he gets to Bethany. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. I mean, after that many days, he's really, really dead. I mean, (laughs) he is. He's he's gone, and, and Jesus... It's, it's too late. It's too late. And Martha comes out to meet him. And, and most of us know, we, we know Martha and Mary from the story about them in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you know, Martha, she's kind of condemned because she was busy with the preparations while Mary was praised because she sat at Jesus' feet. But I think John, he knew Mary and Martha. And I think he knew about Luke's Gospel. And I think he wants to balance the story out a little bit. Because here, Martha is the good example in many ways. Martha comes out to meet Jesus. In the midst of her probably disappointment, Jesus, why didn't you come? Jesus, why didn't you fix this? You got our message, Lord. She comes out to meet him, and, and she shows the initiative. And then she says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You could have done something. You could have been here. But then she says in verse 22, But, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, I still believe you could do something about this, which is amazing considering Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Jesus says to her, yeah, your, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, the words that Jesus are about to, about to say to her, I think are some of the most mysterious and some of the most amazing promises in the whole Bible. They are said, essentially, at an ancient visitation, a funeral. And as we hear them, we think about all those in Christ who have gone before us. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Wow. Jesus says basically two things. If we believe in him, even though we die, we will live. And he says we live now by believing, by trusting in him. And if we live in him now, then we will never die even though we die. Wow. This is good news, friends. This is good news. And he asked Martha, and we think about Easter coming up in two weeks, and I think he asked each one of you, do you believe this? Do you believe in the resurrection? Yeah. Amen. Do you believe in Jesus? You will never die. Oh, what a mysterious hope we have in Christ. So all wrapped up in this story, not not nicely, not neatly, we have sickness, we have death, we have God's mysterious plan, we have Martha expressing lament and belief at the same time. Oh, friends, Jesus and faith in him, isn't it so much more rich and nuanced than we often say it is? I mean, here we have it. Grief and hope, sickness and death, Death and life, disappointment and trust, lament and faith. It's knowing Jesus loves us, and a lot of the time, not knowing what he's doing. We walk by faith in him, not by sight. He is the Lord who is working mysteriously, but as we walk by faith in our Lord, we need to know that he's not indifferent to our distress. And that's the second thing I want to point out, that I I believe this this story, this sign points to, is Jesus cries with us. He cries with us. Jumping down to verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Oh, isn't that nice to know that Jesus seeks us out in our distress? He seeks out Mary, who stayed behind, And perhaps that's true for you today. Jesus is here. The teacher is here. He's asking for you. He's asking for you. He's seeking you out. Now, as a little bit of an aside, notice that two women refer to Jesus as teacher. See, rabbis in Jesus' day, they didn't teach women. But Jesus did. So that they too could become his disciples. Jesus honored and loved women. And it says he loved Mary and Martha. He loved them. Jumping down to verse 32, when when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Clearly the sisters have talked and they're both upset at the same thing. Jesus should have been here. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This is, this is a verb in the Greek that means a, a deep unsettling, almost, a, almost an anger. He was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Verse 34, where have you la- laid him? He asked, come and see, they replied. And it says, Jesus wept. He wept. Do you ever picture Jesus crying? Weeping? For the world, for you? For the suffering going on? I mean, this is famously the shortest verse in the whole Bible, but it's not short on theology. Or Christology, who Jesus is. John's gospel is the most probably theological of all the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John. And Jesus, in this, John says, Jesus is the word of God from the the beginning made flesh. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. All of these amazing things, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And here he is, weeping for the pain his friends are experiencing. Jesus weeps with us. He takes notice of all the tears we've ever cried. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 56, you've kept count of my tossings, you've put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your record? Jesus knows every tear we've ever shed. You know, when I've, I don't know about you, but when I've gone through my own times of suffering, I've always been especially touched by the people who've cried with me. Even just that tear coming to their eye. Because when I looked at them and I saw the tears, I knew wow, I think you at least understand a little bit of the pain that I'm going through. I'm thankful for the people who've cried with me. And do you know, friends, your God, your Savior, He cries with you, He weeps with you, He knows your pain, He knows it deeply. The Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, and I believe God does this with us. When we have victories, when we have celebrations, when we have wonderful things happen, there our God is with us, cheering us on and praising us and delighting in us. And when we're going through times of suffering, there he is again, crying with us and supporting us and consoling us. One Bible scholar scholar took a well-known hymn and said, And can it be that thou, my, my God, wouldst cry with me, Amazing love. How can it be? And I think God is so moved by the tears, by the pain, by the suffering of this world. His vision for the new heavens, the new earth, when his kingdom comes in fullness, is a world without them. Revelation 21 says, God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. Friends, I hope you can see God's love for you in this. And when the Jews saw Jesus doing this, verse 36, they, they say, See, see how he loved the, him. And I hope you can see how he loves you. See how he loves you because it can be so easy to turn to despair or cynicism or what have you. In fact, even some of them in this passage, verse 37, some of them say, well, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I mean, when Jesus doesn't do what we hope for, it can be so easy to turn to despair and it's good to express what Mary and Martha did. Lord, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But yet, I believe you could do something even now. I believe you are the resurrection and the life. I still believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Yes, Jesus could have, and ultimately he will redeem this situation. God's love for us does not change with the circumstances of life. His love for us is forever. He rejoices with us. He cries with us. He's always with us. Finally, probably the most important of all the things in this passage is it teaches us that Jesus gives us life by giving his life. He gives us life by giving his life. Now, Jesus is off to raise Lazarus from the dead. And I like a quote from James Baldwin that says, The Lord never seems to get there when you want him, but when he arrives, he is always right on time. Amen to that, right? He never seems to get there when you want him but when he arrives he's always right on time. And it's now time for Jesus to reveal his glory. Verse 38, once more deeply moved he comes to the tomb. It was a cave laid with a, with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said and, and we know the story. He says, Lazarus, come out. I mean, Again, can you imagine this happening to you? I mean, you're at at the funeral, you're at the funeral parlor, you're at the funeral home. Your brother who has been critically ill. He's now died for four days. And we don't do this today, but imagine he's been in the casket for four days. Jesus finally shows up to the visitation. And he goes and he lays his hand on the coffin. And he's thanking God that God's already heard him. What's going to happen? And he says to your brother, by name, Lazarus, come out. The coffin opens and someone gets out. Isn't this absurd? This is astonishing. This is astonishing. He comes back to life. This is the sign of signs, the miracle of miracles. Why did Jesus do this? He he says so himself, he wanted his disciples to see the glory of God. The glory of God. And I think he wanted, knowing that his crucifixion was coming, knowing he was about to leave this earth, I think he, know that, he knew that they needed an unshakable confidence in the resurrection for, for hope of life beyond death. Because, you know, we know Easter, it's in two weeks. But Jesus wanted his disciples to have a powerful preview. This is what I'm capable of. This is what God can do when you put your trust in him. In fact, Jesus said a few few chapters earlier in John 5, he said, Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, friends, this is where John gets like theologically like, whoa, this is amazing. Because John called Jesus the word of God Back in chapter 1. Do you remember this? In the Word of God, in Genesis chapter 1, the Word of God in the beginning of time spoke and brought all things visible and invisible into existence. Matter and life itself coming alive by the Word of God. And in the end, Jesus, the Word of God, will speak. And those who hear His voice will go, go from dead to alive. And all things will come back into existence and be renewed. In the new heavens and the new earth. Friends, this is the Christian faith. What Jesus said about Lazarus is true of every believer in Christ. This sickness will not end in death. This sickness will not end in death. And this death will not end in death. Amen? How is this possible? Only because of Jesus Christ only because of Jesus. This is not just a philosophy. This is a reality. And the story of Lazarus gives us the most vivid picture of the cross and resurrection. And in fact, this is the event that leads to the cross. After this happened, some of the people who were there, they run off to tell the the religious leaders what they just witnessed. And if you jump down to verse 33, it says, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, before, they just tried to take his life when they had the opportunity. But now, they're making a plan. We're making a plan. We're, we're taking him out. So this is the irony that giving Lazarus his life back cost Jesus his own life. But he was willing to do it. And further irony upon irony it's this cross, it's this giving of his life that will lead all those in Christ to getting their lives back to. Getting their bodies back through life, through the life that he gave. Truly, this miracle. Is this not the sign of signs? Is this not the most miraculous thing you've ever heard besides Jesus' his own resurrection? I mean, it's unbelievable. We have seen in Jesus that he, he works mysteriously in the redemption of all things. And in our pain, he cries with us, but in the end, he will give us life because he's given his life for us. Oh, friend, can you see this morning how he loves you? So whatever you're going through today, know the love of your God, the love of your Savior. And if you need an example how to live this out I point you actually to Martha it's time she gets some redemption because she runs to Jesus she tells him her disappointment and yet she confesses her ultimate trust her ultimate faith in who he is this is the power of Jesus he was so amazing he was so incredible he could disappoint people so greatly yet at the end of the day they're saying I still believe I still believe Can anybody testify that that's their experience? You've gone through some suffering, you've gone through some things, but yet Jesus is so incredible. This story is so amazing. It helps you see everything else in life and still at the end of the day, you say to him, Lord, I still believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was sent into the world. That's how amazing Jesus is. So many of us have that story. So as we approach Easter, may you believe deeply And find deep hope in our Lord who is the resurrection and who is the life. Amen.